most startups will be dead before they even reach a proof of concept with a big, not just carrier, a broker, an MGA, a reinsurance company. They're not, you're not, they're not even going to get to prove their worth before they run out of money. Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey everyone, welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, where we dedicate our discussion to insurance innovation. So I have the opportunity to speak to Ron Glasman today. Now, he's the Chief Executive Officer of Chisel AI, a company that uses natural language processing and name entity recognition to instantly read complex documents and extract the pertinent data trapped inside of those documents. Ron, it is a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here and looking forward to having a, a deep, insightful discussion with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to talking about everything that you all are doing with Chisel. But but even before that, you know, I, I had a, a chance to read your backstory and just work through that. So um, it's interesting, you know, as I, as I looked at your backstory, I don't see insurance there, <laughs> but I, I do see a lot of um, you know, things in relation to uh, technology and then also uh, with you just, um, you know, coming into the industry recently. So if you don't mind, you know, talk to me a little bit about your backstory and what got you into looking at the insurance space. Yeah. So, you know, and so to some people, this might seem traditional to some less so because um, everybody seems to fall into insurance and sort of never get out. And I have a similar story. Um, so I was a student at the University of Waterloo, which is a school up in Canada, studying computer science and business. Um, and I, 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 I saw some opportunities to make the studying process more efficient because the textbooks were much more uh, sort of lengthy and wordy than the actual exams themselves. And so I saw sort of an arbitrage opportunity, which is which words could I throw out of the textbook and still be able to pass the exam. And so, you know, I, I came up with the idea of being able to create summaries of textbooks using uh, artificial intelligence, which at the time was very different than some of the artificial intelligence techniques that we use today. Um, and so I, I ended up building the solution that allowed students to upload textbooks and receive back short summaries, typically about one page per chapter. That ended up being quite successful. It went on to being named one of the 50 best apps for students of all time, highly, highly downloaded, used in more than 33 countries. Um, and, and so, you know, it was a great success. And at the time, I was invited to come speak on a panel uh, similar to the one that, that we were actually at last week, where I was talking about artificial intelligence and natural language processing. And in the audience, you know, unbeknownst to me, was a senior member from, from Aon, a company that I'd actually never heard of before, because as you say, I wasn't from the insurance industry. Um, and so she reached out to me after my panel saying, hey, I know you guys teach computers how to read specifically for students, but I believe insurance could benefit tremendously from this. And so I met with her and her team. Uh, we did some design, some scoping, some requirements, and we ended up developing a solution uh, which was solving at that time Aon's problem, but we've come to realize it's much bigger than just Aon's problem, which had to do with policy check 
Um, and for those sort of unfamiliar, it's a process that brokers typically go through where they compare all of the paperwork submitted in the binding process against the final policy wording to make sure that there's no errors and omissions. And so we were able to help them automate part of that process, find some operational efficiencies, really increase the client deliverables and help them deliver on a really good client experience through contact certainty. Uh, ended up taking that product, commercializing it beyond just that one use case. Um, and now we have three products in the insurance market and we no longer have an app for students. We are exclusively in the insurance market. So it's been sort of a 180 degree flip and you know, they, they say the customer's always right. And I've come <laughs> to learn that that is definitely the case. So, hey, you know, you know this, is, uh, this is where it becomes really interesting, right? Because, you know, you took an idea that was meant for students um, to, uh, to, to, to really synthesize the information down in textbooks, you know, to really, uh, um, you know, make it easy uh, for those students to know what, what to study, right? And, and, and you took that idea and then you applied it to a lot of the needs that uh, necessary uh, within the insurance industry. And, and, and you're, you're really spot on just in relation to, um, you know, having a, a need to, to sort of that, that use case from Aon, right? Um, you know, to, to really understand the information uh, that's being collected and, uh, and, and then to design it in a way that's going to work for Aon, but um, but you know, if you don't mind, Ron, you know, just talk to me a little bit about your your products within Chisel AI, um, but also dive deeply uh, deeply into the the problem that you all are solving. Yeah, I would love to. So it all starts sort of at the base layer with with data extraction, and at that level. It's, it's hard to sort of tell the difference between many of the startups in the space because a lot of people today are focusing on this problem of taking unstructured data and making it structured. And it's not just in the insurance industry, it's pervasive across every industry. And so we have that as, as our core technology, but where we differentiate in that aspect is we today identify over 500 what are called entities, or you can think of them as nouns. So people, places, and things. Where some of our closest competitors Editors only do about 25 entities and companies like Google and IBM do about 12 out of the box. And so part of that comes down to our lead in the, in the space, you know, the last three and a half years developing that ontology of over 500 insurance specific understandings and terms. Now, once we're able to read that out of a document and we can support submissions, applications, binders, quotes, policies, endorsements, statements of values, basically any type of document that you see in insurance, we can handle. Once we've been able to extract that data, we focus on the actual workflows around that. And so we'll start with the one we were just speaking on, which is policy check. The problem there is that oftentimes policies are issued with uh, mistakes in them. And part of this problem is the fact that every single carrier, and sometimes even more specifically, every carrier in every line of business has their own issuing paper with their own wording. And so it falls to the broker who, at least in Canada, uh, has a fiduciary duty to make sure that they're, they're meeting their clients' needs and they're getting them the best coverage possible. Now, sometimes that means um, you know, typical mistakes that we see in ENO are things as simple as it's the wrong name insured. 
which, you know, if you get a policy and you got the wrong name insured, you start to wonder what else could be wrong in this policy. Um, other common mistakes include uh, missing endorsements, uh, exclusions that were not negotiated, perhaps um, limits that are smaller than what was negotiated or deductibles that might be higher. So our solution is able to capture all of that. And the way we do it is you upload uh, through a user interface, or we have a batch method which you can access via API. Um, a, there's a couple different things. Let's say you're doing a renewal. You can upload last year's policy and this year's policy and compare them to see whether there have been any changes. Now, one of the enhancements that we're bringing in, I've never really talked about this publicly, so I'll give a sneak peek to you and your, and your listeners, is we're now enhancing that. and We're going to be the only company in the world that allows you to compare across different companies. So let's say last year you were with let's just say Chubb, and this year you're renewing with Travelers, there is no software in the world that can make sure that you still have the same coverage across both of those policies. And so that's a feature that we're currently working on to enhance our product offering to really be the market leader in the space. We're going to allow you to compare documents across multiple carriers, documents within any individual carrier, and assuming it's not a renewal, you're able to upload basically the whole quote-to-bind process uh, documentation, starting with an application, the submission, the quote, and the binder. All of that we can check against the policy and verify that it is, in fact, um, what, what you were looking to buy and that it, it will cover your client based on their needs. And so last year alone, uh, we were able to identify over a billion dollars in limits that were subject to ENO exposure, um, which, as you can imagine, made our clients quite happy. So that's one of them. The other one that, that has been lately um, a big hit, and it's the one we just announced last week at Dig In, so this is fresh off the press, is our submission intake solution. This solution focuses on carriers and the fact that carriers work typically assuming they don't have captive agents or they have multiple channels, work with hundreds, if not thousands, of brokerages and agencies, all of whom typically, if they're not using the carrier portal, are using their own um, individual paper. And this came about with uh, one of our clients who approached us about two years ago and said, look, guys, we invested millions and millions of dollars building a carrier portal. We have a network of 3,000 agencies and brokerages, and less than 500 of those 3,000 were willing to use the portal, which is a very small uptake. If you do the math, it's about 15%. And so what can we do to service those other 85%? So we built them a solution where their agents can email them a PDF document to an inbox, just like they've been doing years after year, and we're actually able to read that email and automatically put it into the carrier's portal unbeknownst to the broker. Now, we've expanded on that product offering. That was sort of V1. We've now added a couple interesting things, which I think are really going to help move the industry forward. The first one is what we call auto-declination. So statistically speaking, depending on the carrier and the line of business, and there's obviously some asterisks, most carriers see 20% of their submissions as not within the risk appetite, meaning they have a sweet spot. Some carriers like to write big business, you know, call it uh, 
over a hundred thousand dollars in premium and you know several tens of millions in limits other carriers like to play in the really really small under call it one thousand dollar premium where their business is based on volume rather than on on large-scale deals and so our goal here is to work with the carriers and actually identify what the risk appetite is and automatically filter out the 20% that is not going to be relevant for them. Because today, they're still investing valuable, precious resources to determine that this is, in fact, not business we want to underwrite. So just there, we think we can help carriers see a 20% lift on their gross and net return premiums simply by filtering better. But we don't want to stop there. The next piece of that is triaging it. So identifying the line of business and identifying um, the potential size of the business based on, let's say, the total insured value and maybe a couple other key factors and actually routing it either to the right underwriter or to the right underwriting system. So we have the ability to actually auto-populate uh, some of our customers are still on Excel, so we auto-populate their Excel rating engines, and they have multiple different Excels depending on the line of business, and that's where the triage piece comes in. Or for some of our more sophisticated clients who are a little bit further along in sort of what we call the automation spectrum, we're able to connect via APIs, so we support XML and JSON and, and all of those modern technologies, and communicate with their back-end rating system and auto-populate it there. And what we've been able to see, and we have a, a client who's going to be going live with this in the next couple of months, so we should expect to publish a case study you know, a couple months into that, we think we're going to be able to see you know, knock on wood, 30 to 50% net rhythm premium lift simply based on being able to auto decline and auto route that business. And as you can imagine, even a 1% lift on a book of business for some of these big carriers is huge, let alone a 20, 30, maybe a 50% lift. And so I'll, I'll be happy to report back. We can have another call in maybe six months to a year once this has been in production for a quarter or two um, and, and report back on our findings. Um, so those, those are sort of the two main products that we're in the market with today. And of course, we're always working on innovating new solutions. So that's an exciting thing to look forward to. Yeah, no, it sounds like there's uh, there's quite a few exciting things to look forward to in relation to what you all are doing. Uh, and, and you know what, what what really strikes me is that, Ron, correct me if I'm wrong, Chisel is roughly about a year and a half to two years old, right? It's it's like, yeah, it's just a bit older. I think we're at two and a half-ish years, but it's, yeah, it's not very long. It's not very old. Yeah. So, so that's that's really what strikes me is that you know it's a it's a company that isn't um, an old one, but you're already making a significant amount of headway within the insurance industry. And in honesty, um, you know when I say significant headway, you know I have the opportunity to speak to organizations all across the board that's looking to innovate the insurance industry. Um, and a lot of those organizations have um, business models or um, uh, technologies that they're working on. Um, but unfortunately, um, when you look deeply at the problems that they're solving, they're not really solving um, use cases that are uh, needed within the industry. So they're trying to find um, a business model for the particular technology that, they, that they've designed, right? But when, when I look at what you all are doing with Chisel, um, it, it, you really are honing in on the needs of the industry. Um, it's somewhat agnostic to where in the industry it's applying. So, you know, there's um, an element for uh, the agent, um, an element for the carrier, 
Um, and then also, um, I, I, I heard a little bit about um, that element of the, the, the customer um, in order to be able to understand where there might be some imbalances between working with one um, uh, carrier and moving the coverage over to another. So you're really tackling a significant need just across the insurance value chain. Now, you know, last year, um, you know, you all were named the uh, Accord InsureTech Innovation winner. And I could only assume that what you've done in such a swift amount of time has helped you to get there. So, you know, talk to me a, li a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, what's happened since that point that you all have won this? Have you, uh, you know, um, was, was that when you started launching new capabilities or, or driving new partnerships with carriers? You know, talk to me a, li a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, so first of all, good research. Um, so the Accord win really, the product that really ties into is our submission intake solution because what we came to realize was, you know, uh, the industry is very, very unstandardized. And as somebody, as you point out, like who hasn't been in the industry too long, it's obvious to me and I'm sure it's even more obvious to people like yourself. Um, and Accord has done, I would say, a relatively good job of doing the industry, at least in our in our conversations with our customers. Um, about 30% of them are Accord compliant. And so what we offer out of the box is the ability to take a form, as we were talking about submissions or applications, that is written on a custom paper and actually massage it to be Accord compliant in the XML. And some people call it magic. We're basically taking like a red apple and on the other side making applesauce. And so, you know, it's a transformation that many people didn't think was possible. Um, that has really accelerated some of the submission stuff. But I would say where we really took off has been this past year, specifically in January, where we won the Zurich Innovation World Championship. We actually took home the gold medal globally out of 459 startups from 49 countries. They gave us the gold medal. And it was for the same solution on submission, intake, and triage. And so some of that work, you know, Zurich is a global powerhouse in insurance. And they've been very, very instrumental in some of the work that we've been doing recently. Um, and we're very excited to be working with them and partnering with them on some of these initiatives. I can't go into specific details, but I, I can tell you that these guys are going to be very innovative in the next year. And you're going to see some of the work we're doing with them come come to light. Um and so that Accord win definitely helped get us there. Um, now, I will say Accord is not a global standard as much as, as I wish it was. Uh, for example, we're based here in Canada where we have something called CZO, which stands for the Center, uh, Center for Studies of Insurance Operations. And they took Accord and... They, they modified it. It's, I, we like to call it Accord Plus. I've seen very similar things in the UK where they have a standard. It's not exactly an Accord standard. It's not too different. And so that has been part of the struggle is as we look to expand globally, Accord is a great start in North America. Unfortunately, it doesn't get us all the way there globally. So we're looking to partner um, regionally with, with players and help define what those standards should look like. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense, especially where you um, are looking to apply, 
your uh, capability to uh, necessary things uh, across the globe, right? And, and while a court is a great standard, and I think domestically in the U.S., um, there are quite a few carriers. I think to your point, I think you mentioned 30 percent, just around there that that's compliant. Um, you know, it, it's actually starting to uh, to wane a, a little bit in terms of what that means. And and I actually had the opportunity to speak to the um, the original uh, developer and designer, Frank Sentner, of that of that particular standard. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that he mentioned is, um, you know, is as innovation uh, starts to uh, truly uh, increase and, and it's somewhat exponential that um, uh, standards like Accord is, is sort of uh, struggling to keep up a little, um, given the fact that there are uh, so many others that could potentially be out there and in alignment with some of the new technological innovations that we're seeing holistically. You know, so um, so there uh, definitely are, are many, uh, especially as you start to think globally, that um, I, I think the approach that you all are taking in order to, uh, to, to handle that is, is truly the right approach. Now, I, I guess, you know, my, my question is, uh, as I look at what you all are doing, especially when it comes to data and standardizing data, I, I think about organizations like um, in Indio Technology, right, that, that's taking application data and standardizing the application data, um, and in some realm are, are looking to automate that to um, to feed it back into the carrier systems from the AMS, from the agency management systems to uh, to allow for, um, you know, some ease of, of doing business and, and extract some of the complexity out of that. So I, I wonder, you know, um, are you all, um, you know, uh, looking at in Indio technologies, for example, um, as a competitor, or are there things that you all are doing that can um, enable you both to transform different segments of the insurance industry? It's Love it. I love this example, Part, partly because I'm very familiar with Indio, um, and I, lo I love the guys that are over there, and congratulations to them on their big raise recently. Um, and it's funny, you know, had we been talking a year ago, I would have I I told you we were in fact in talks with Indio to potentially partner and see how they could leverage some of our technology to actually help them. One of the biggest problems we hear about is a lot of companies have what they like to call a data lake. So they have, or they just have a history of, of policies that they need to migrate. And sometimes those policies are still in PDF. And that's where our technology comes in. It's the ability to read that PDF and use it to populate a system such as Indio or something else. Now, the other piece of this is we're strong believers that data extraction and that data pipeline will be there will be sufficient break, break there will be sufficient breakthroughs in the next 18 to 36 months where that's table stakes and most people will have got that right the really hard part as you probably know is insurance is complicated and so it's not just about getting the data out i would call that 10% of the way there now that we've gotten the data out how do we use it to do pricing how do we use it to make sure that we have contract certainty and reduce our ENO? And that's why we've been personally at Chisel doubling down on these intelligent workflows or what, you know, for lack of a business word, business logic. And that's the heart and soul. So Salesforce is basically any other CRM. You know, there's hundreds of CRMs. Why is Salesforce the best? Because they really, really, really understand what the sales cycle looks like and what tools you need to enable that. And I've been quoted on this, and I guess at this point I'm committed to it, so I might as well quote myself again. We wanna be the Microsoft of insurance because every single person uses Microsoft Office. Now imagine the future 
where instead of using Microsoft Office Word to issue a policy, you log into Chisel and you use that to issue your policy. And so that's what we want to have, a suite of tools like Word, Excel, PowerPoint, that insurance professionals would use on the day-to-day to get their job done. And the underlying implementation details of data extraction, we're happy to partner with Google or Amazon or Facebook or maybe one of our InsurTech partners that will crack that nut of data extraction because that's that's honestly going to be table stakes. The hard part is the business logic, and that's where we come in, uh, where we specialize. Yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely. And I, and I, um, uh, first and foremost, I, I do want to make sure, sure I said congratulations on both of your wins. You know, with uh, uh, the sort of the I think you mentioned the, the Zurich Global um, InsurTech competition and also the the Accord competition. It, as I mentioned, you know, it's just indicative of the 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 value proposition and and the the real business use cases and needs that that you all are solving now you know as as i think about sort of everything that you said you know underlying that to me really is um the customer experience and and when i say customer experience it's uh, just across the board with everyone that you're touching along the value chain um because again it's making that ease of of doing business and the ease of um, engaging and grabbing the data and leveraging it for the needs that it's being used for you know a much more um efficient and, and, and just holistically, it's, it's just simpler. Um, you know, so as I think about what you all are doing to transform that customer experience, is that a core part of what you're uh, looking to accomplish just as a part of your capabilities? And then how do you measure that to make sure that you're really driving a transformed and a, a better customer experience? I love this question. Thank you for asking it. Um, I'll start with our company mission which i think i think is the most important piece because you 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 have to know where your north star is and for so and that's going to set the culture of the company like if you say we want to be a billion dollar startup no matter the cost you know that that means in, in your startup culture people will take shortcuts and maybe do things that they might not otherwise do if that wasn't the mission our mission, so to, to bring it home, our mission is two things. When I started the company, our logo, our slogan was work smart, not hard. Because, you know, for lack of a better word, I was lazy. And I'll prefix it by saying this. I don't think laziness is a bad thing. There's a famous quote from a guy named Bill Gates, which hopefully most people might know of. Um, and Bill Gates says, I will hire and give my hardest task to the laziest engineer because they'll find the easiest way to get it done. And I think that piece of wisdom is very, very smart. Now, over the past couple of years, we've slightly changed it because we're no longer focused on students and that's not our market, but we've stayed true to that message. Our message is now to help people work smart and enrich their lives. So what does that mean? Because to enrich somebody's life, is sort of a lofty goal that is intangible. And I'll tell you why and how I came up with this. So we had just finished or just finished going through the procurement cycle for one of our POCs. And I I like to go and meet with the actual users of our software. So I, I went to our customer, I said, hey, do you mind if I come in for a half a day and just sit down with the users and I wanna hear about their experience? So. They said, of course, no problem. And I came in and I met with this great guy. And, you know, just for the sake of this, I'm going to change his name. I met with John. 
And John is, is an older gentleman, about 65, if I had to guess, who has spent his whole career at this one company. And his job was to do policy check, literally day after day after day. And I go, John, tell me a bit about your day. And he goes, Ron, the typical day, I'll probably get in here around 7, 7.30, no later than 8, and I probably won't leave until 7. And I go, holy cow, why is that? And he goes, well, there's, you know, we need to check X amount of policies a day. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to meet the needs. And because it takes me so long, you know, that's just the reality of it. And, and so my final measure is if we can write software to make it faster and more efficient so John gets to go home and spend time with his wife and not have to – or his you know, husband, whatever, not miss their anniversary dinner, be able to see their daughter or their son's ballet recital, see their children play softball, that to me is enriching their lives. And, and it's, it's, it's doing that through working smarter and not harder, which is sort of what John is doing today. And so our, our ultimate measure and our company vision is to help the world, but more specifically insurance professionals, work smarter and enrich their lives. No, I was going to say, absolutely. You know, that's, um, that, that's, that's definitely, you know, uh, it, it feels like it, it's focusing beyond just the, uh, you know, the, the need to, 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 you know, make a profit, right? And, and that, that's what a lot of um, organizations, of course, even beyond InsureTechs, but are, are focusing on. It's, it's really the financial benefit. But I, I do think, and I, I think you really hit it on the head, you know, when you bring uh, the customer or the people that you are serving and make them a core part of your value proposition, I think that's actually a driver of being able to service and create capabilities that's going to to help you know the to to either you know make that person's job more efficient more um you know uh, more exciting and, and and even you know just what what you all are doing uh, you know just to take out some of the uh the, the the challenges out of it to make that person more effective at, at what they're doing you know so um i i absolutely believe that when you put the customer at the foundation um that that really will number one help to propel an organization like yours um, and get people to be excited about leveraging your capability and technology um, in, in their their day-to-day work now um, you know as as I think about you know where you all are right now um, and um, and as I mentioned you know you've come really far in a short period of time um, and that was through seeing the needs that were um, uh, playing out as a part of what we're seeing in this insurance industry you know so if you are looking maybe about a year or so down the line you know what are uh, some of the, the the bigger transformations or things uh, from a, an innovation perspective that you see are going to wind up playing out over that time period? You know, it's interesting. And I don't know how much of this change will come from me, so I'll, I'll speak broader. But there's a couple interesting things that I, I personally am seeing in the industry, and not all of it is, is due to our technology. You know, we're just a small fish in a big pond. Um, but there's a couple of things. So the first of them is, and this is typical for any industry where AI is really coming in, is this movement from routine work to judgment work. And I'll explain what that means. So a human is, I mean, they're, they're pretty good at doing stuff like math, but we all know computers can do math millions 
sometimes billions, and if you have a supercomputer, trillions of times faster than a human ever could. But the one nut that technology has yet to crack, and it's probably going to take a long, long, long time to get there, is judgment. Machines are really, really bad at context and understanding and making important decisions. So I think we'll see a lot of people moving away from some of like, let's talk about policy check. Policy check should never have to be done by hand. The fact that poor John is doing this day in and day out and he has to wear glasses because his eyes are so strained from the years of doing it and he has carpal tunnel from writing so much, ridiculous. Instead, John is going to now be working and be client facing and explain to them, here are the mistakes we found in your policy, and here's how we're going to improve them and fix them to make sure that you're better covered. So it's moving away from that piece of work that can be sort of automated or, or helped with and becoming one, more customer facing and two, judgment work. So today, a lot of times, especially underwriting, surprising to me, when I entered the industry, you know, I've bought insurance before and Unfortunately, the experience wasn't so pleasant because they ask hundreds of questions. Then I came into the industry and I learned that they're only using like 15 of those questions. Our best customer uses 50 data points in their underwriting engine when the actual submission has over 500. And so part of what we're able to do is because it takes them so long to read that submission by hand, they're not using all of that pricing data because we're now able to expose it and give it to them in less than one second. They're now able to go back and actually rethink the way they're doing underwriting and use some of that additional knowledge and data points to be much more granular. And I think that will actually result in, in a win for the consumers because it might actually allow them to price better and identify the people who are low risk and actually give them lower limits, deductibles, sorry, lower premiums for the same limit, lower deductibles, etc. And that's, that's coming down to the fact that machines can just get that data so much faster. They don't know how to use that data. They can't make the judgment. And that's where the human comes in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and honestly, uh, you know, you just struck a nerve with me uh, just in relation to, uh, you know, the, the types of information that that's being collected. And, and to your point, you know, there's uh, a lot of organizations that might be collecting, you know, tons of data points, but only doing something from an underwriting perspective uh, with a handful of those data points. And, and, and it, when I, uh, you know, look at what's playing out there, um, I look at just the world that I'm in today um, and I always take a step back and I and I think to myself you know okay well what is this doing as a part of the underwriting process and then in relation to the customer experience how am I impacting the customer because now the customer may have to focus on collecting all of those data points if there's no automation that's associated with it um, and that doesn't give them the opportunity to focus on what they do best and that's run their business right you know so now they're they're engaging with their insurance agents more than probably they would want to um, you know so uh, you, you you really uh, struck a chord there just in relation to some of those things that are, are playing out just as a part of the underwriting process and, and, and being able to you know transform that but uh, to, to the, the point that we talked about a little bit earlier all of that really goes back to defining um, and designing uh, a better customer experience based on the capability 
possibilities that you all have um, designed. Now, you know, with that said, Ron, um, I, I, I see a lot of organizations and you all have signed partnerships um, with, with a, a, you know, quite a few organizations across the board. Um, and, um, you know, I think we are now at the point where uh, larger insurance organizations are looking at insurtech enablers like yourself to really help to transform the value proposition that they have to either make their processes more efficient or to, to help them to, you know, really be able to to grow and, and hit their, their targets and objectives more quickly. Um, you know, so uh, when when I um, hear about what, what other carriers are doing and how they're using InsurTechs, it, it really gets me excited. So, you know, what are some of the things that you're hearing from the organizations that you're working with um, just in relation to um, uh, what your capability has done to, to help their organizations? One of the most interesting statistics, actually, that I love to focus on, because to me it's interesting, is that there are more um, people above the age of 55 in the insurance industry in the workforce than in any other industry. And the interesting fact is, and I don't want to misspeak, but I believe the number is something like 40% of all insurance professionals will be retired in the next 10 years which means there is going to be a huge, huge need for either more operational efficiency or for, for more people. And so obviously as, as this population starts to, to hit their retirement, there's going to be gaps that need to be filled. And so a lot of our companies are starting to get prepared for this coming wave of, of you know, congrats to them, people retiring um, who need to be replaced, but they're not going to be replaced with humans. They're going to be replaced with, with AI. Um, the other piece that's very interesting is the fact that they see this as a competitive edge for recruiting because no student, if you go back, you know, I'll think back a couple years to when I was a 22 year old, um, who, you know, would have graduated from college if I didn't end up doing this. And somebody told me, hey, we're going to hire you to check policies by hand. So you're just going to sit there with a yellow highlighter and a red pen all day looking at hundreds of pieces of paper. I would never agree to that because it's in, in today's modern day and age, like people from my generation and sort of a couple years older even are so used to things being on the computer and digital that they will never, ever, ever buy into an organization that is still stuck doing things by paper. And so... Part of that, I think, can really be helped, and some of our partners are talking, is like with AI, everybody wants to work with AI. And if they can tell these prospective students who are going to be choosing between where to go and what to do, you guys are going to get to work with the most cutting-edge AI in the world, or at least in this industry, but hopefully in the world is sort of where I set the bar for my company. That gets people excited and fired up. And so... It's about helping um, deal with some of the, of the retirement issues that we see coming up. It's helping to deal with attracting clients. And then finally, of course, customer experience. I can't go into specifics. Uh, I'll speak broadly. Um, you know, typically, our customers will only respond to between 40 to 50% of all applications they receive, simply because they receive too many, which means a couple things. One, the broker if they don't get a response, could start to harbor some negative feelings. Why are they not responding to me? I've brought them so much business, 
right? And it might just be that on that specific day, they received so many applications that they didn't just get to it in time. The other piece of that is, of course, the final policyholder. If they're waiting for weeks for you to quote, and we have numbers on this, again, speaking generically, um, our, cu our customers only turn around, they have a 10-day guarantee policy on quoting, and they're only able to hit that 60% of the time which is crazy to think about. So not only are they not always responding, but when they do respond almost half the time, it takes them longer than two weeks, which is sort of how long you'd want to wait for a quote. And so that's the final piece is making sure that, you know, with our submission intake solution, we have a customer who's looking to get this to straight through processing with not a single underwriter touching it. We'll plug right into the rating engine. The goal there being they will hit a hundred percent response within 30 seconds, which is just mind blowing. It, it, it absolutely is mind blowing. Um, and, and I do believe that, um, you know, uh, if, if this capability, especially those organizations that are uh, looking to improve their, their straight through, you know, if that capability um, uh, is, is one that that's easily integratable into some of these carriers, um, uh, you know, technologies and legacy capabilities, then I think it's going to really help to overhaul and transform what those carriers are, are trying to do. So, you know, Ron, you know, um, one of the questions that I, I always ask, you know, because I, I like to make our conversations tangible for the listeners to walk away with something. Um, you know, if, if there um, is a, a piece of advice that you would give to those that are listening really to go back to their offices and innovate, you know, uh, their um, organizations and move it away from the status quo, you know, what advice would you give them? I love that. Thank you so much for asking this. I think like this is the most important thing, especially if you want to help startups. And I'll break it down to simple math. One of our contracts we've been working on 26 months. <laughs> Another one of our contracts, we've been negotiating for more than 18 months. And most startups only raise money typically for 18 months because no investor wants to take a gamble. And so if you do the math, most startups will be dead before they even reach a proof of concept with a big, not just carrier, a broker, an MGA, a reinsurance company. I find it's all almost the same in terms of sales cycle length, which means that sales cycle is going to kill them. They're not, you're not, they're not even going to get to prove their worth before they run out of money. And so if there's one thing that I would say listeners can do is to go back and reevaluate a couple of things. One, reevaluate their security and compliance process. We're in the insurance industry. Everybody's risk averse. So the compliance is extremely complex. If, if possible, and we've seen a couple of our customers that do this, create a light version of your compliance questionnaire, especially if you're not doing anything in the cloud, which typically you can do in a proof of concept. You can run it, for example, locally deployed or something. Um, that will save the startup and really help move the ball forward quickly. The next piece where I see startups sort of die in, in this procurement cycle is in fact, procurement itself. I can't tell you how many times we negotiate something with the business, which typically only takes, call it two to four months. It's a pretty quick cycle relative to the whole thing. Um, procurement comes in and basically goes counter to the business. And of course, part of this is a negotiation tactic where they try to drive down minimums and they try to 
um, negotiate shorter contract terms and all of those stuff. And don't get me wrong, I think procurement's very important. But I think when you're dealing with a startup, it's a little different than dealing with a company like Guidewire that can actually live long enough to finish negotiating with you. So the second piece I would say is procurement. If possible, try to minimize procurement, especially if we're talking a small dollar proof of concept. Ideally, um, have senior leadership approve some type of budgetary threshold under which you know procurement doesn't need to negotiate. A 50, let's call it $50,000, a $50,000 budget is a rounding mistake for all of the big companies like it's not even a percent of a percent of a percent and then the final piece is unfortunately innovation in our experience working with innovation labs typically when the business is not involved is more about sort of how, how we were talking earlier it's about doing ai for the sake of doing ai rather than doing ai for the sake of helping some business purpose and we've suffered through a couple of those where we come in and we really, really want to help the business, we run a pilot with an innovation group and it goes nowhere because not a single business person was involved. They don't see the value and they, it's not communicated. They're not engaged in that process. And I love the fact that companies want to go after innovation. But in my experience, they've been doing this a little bit wrong because they're not involving business. Innovation for the sake of innovation, in my opinion, is a little pointless. Business has to be driving the innovation agenda, and that's the only way to be successful in it. Yeah, yeah. You uh, again, um, you and I think so alike, you know. Uh, and um, and and then that's sort of where I, I come in, uh, just to, to always say that as you start to think about uh, innovation and transformation of of, uh, of any organization, you know, you really have to start with a, a real business use case that's supported by the business. You know, one of the things that I don't support is having an innovation unit that's separate from the rest of the organization because a lot of times they might be developing a capability, but then when it comes time to roll out, you know, it's almost uh, very similar to having startups that might have some great technology, but not a business model to associate it with, right? You know, individual innovation units not connected to the business actually operate that same way. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I think that we... We absolutely think, um, you know, very alike when it comes to that. And I think that's really great advice for those that are are really looking to transform uh, their organization. So, hey, Ron, you know, I, I want to say thank you. You know, this has been a really great conversation and and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty positive that, you know, there's a, a lot of tangible things that listeners can take away from our discussion here today. Now, you know, um, if anyone did want to learn more or get in contact with you or your organization, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can follow at Chisel AI on Twitter. We're pretty active. You can find us on our website. We write a blog post typically once every two weeks. Uh, very technical. So people who are interested in the tech side, also very business oriented. We go deep into some of the fundamentals of what we talked about here today. And then lastly, you know, if you want to hear from some kid who's working on insurance, you can follow me personally at Ron Glosman on Twitter. Absolutely. So, hey, Ron, you know, um, once again, I want to say thank you. I, I do appreciate having the conversation and I look forward to uh, continuing to follow what you all are doing at Chisel. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And looking forward to, uh, I'm sure I'll run into you in some industry events in the short, in the near future. And to anybody listening, um, you know, I'm very sociable. Would love for you. I'm going to be at ITC, InsurTech Connect, uh, in Vegas at the end of September. I'm also speaking later this, this month at SVIA. If you're at any of these events, please drop by. Would love to shake your hand, talk with you about your business problems, give you a demo, or just grab a beer. Hey everyone, thanks for listening again to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. Now as always, if this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so you can get every episode once it's new each Thursday. So just tune in weekly and then also take an opportunity to go back through the older episodes that might have a lot of content that you can learn from and that you could apply to your day to day. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.